you can have the best diet and like follow everything we tell you. You can take all the supplements. You can sleep, have a really good sleep routine. But if you don't get connected with yourself and work with stress reduction or yoga or any of these practices, don't waste your money. If you want to heal your body, you have to give your body some rest. If you want to live like you matter, ditch the pills, look great, and feel freaking amazing, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo. I'm Dr. Ed Levitan. Welcome to the Five Journeys Podcast. Where we empower you to live a vibrant and healthy life by optimizing your structural, chemical, emotional, social, and spiritual lives. Hang on to your hats. Hello and welcome to the Five Journeys podcast. We are really excited to have Dr. Marinella Lavena on. We are absolutely delighted to have Dr. Lavena here today. She's a board certified family doctor who currently works at Five Journeys with us. How, how privileged are we? For the past 15 years, Dr. Lavena has been teaching and recommending mindfulness, meditation, and yoga as part of her therapeutic plan for patients. She's trained with some of the top minds in mindfulness meditation and mindfulness-based stress reduction at the Herbert Benson Mind-Body Medicine Institute and Harvard to name drop a few. And yoga and meditation have been an important part of Marianella's own healing journey, and that's why she's so passionate about it. So we asked her here today to talk about it because everyone wants to know about it. So I, I'm going to jump in with the first question, which, which is, what's the real deal behind meditation and yoga success? Like, is it is it all just hype? That's a good question. So uh, when I recommend it to my patients and when I recommend it to friends and what I, uh, I always say that when you are practicing yoga, when you're practicing meditation, maybe some days you feel bliss and relaxation and some days you don't feel anything when you're practicing yoga or meditation. Um, but then there's a lot of studies. Uh, one was done by the University of, of Massachusetts, the MBSR, where a group of, of students were um, scanned. They scanned their brains with functional MRIs before starting practicing meditation and eight weeks after uh, practicing only 10 minutes every day. Uh, and what it showed that after those eight weeks, you don't have to meditate all your life to get changes in your brain. After eight, 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 those eight weeks, the prefrontal cortex, the medial prefrontal cortex, that is the part of the brain that is more evolved and is more connected with a sense of peace, happiness, creativity, gets bigger and your amygdala and limbic system that is in the back base of the brain shrinks. So maybe you're not feeling anything. Maybe, you know, when you're meditating, you're thinking I should be doing something else. This is not going to work, but it works. It works because it's you're rewiring your brain, something called neuroplasticity. For example, when you want to learn uh, how to play the piano or how to drive. You practice, 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 practice. And after a few months, you're just playing the piano with your eyes closed or driving and you are thinking about something else. Hopefully with your eyes open. <laughs> with the eyes open. <laughs> Hopefully. But it's your brain learning. So that's why um, when I recommend mindfulness, I tell people, you don't have to use mindfulness or yoga when you're stressed only. You have to practice off stage. So for example, if you have to, if you want to participate in a play and you have your lines and you're going to practice them and practice them and practice them on the day of the play, you're going to Say your lines and it's going to look beautiful. Well, the same happens with anxiety, stress, and meditation. If you practice every day, coming back to the present moment, feeling your breath, you know, 
phrases or, you know, I don't have to believe my thoughts, whatever you like to practice or yoga, the day you have a stressful situation, your limbic system or your amygdala is not going to hijack you. You're going to be able to relax and use your more evolved brain, your prefrontal cortex. Cool. So one thing I want to come back to is just, you said MBSR, and I want to make sure that people know what that is. That's mindfulness-based stress reduction. And that was originally based on John Kabat-Zinn's work. I just want to kind of have that baseline. Is there a difference between yoga and meditation? You're, you're lumping, it seems like you're lumping them together. Is the benefit the same? Is it different? That's a good question. So first, the MBSR, it's, uh, yes, it was started, by, founded by John Kabat-Zinn at the UMass Hospital. And he uses the definition that mindfulness meditation is paying attention to the present moment and without judgment. It's bringing your attention to this present moment. And he, he's done a lot of studies. And what's the difference be between yoga and, and meditation? So for example, I think they have the same benefits because when you are practicing yoga, you're moving your attention from your thoughts, worry thoughts, to your body and to proprioception. You're feeling your hands on the floor. You're feeling your breathing. You're, so you're working on that proprioception. And there's a lot of studies showing that when we work on bringing the attention to our bodies, we are making our medial prefrontal cortex bigger. There's a study, there's a doctor uh, in Harvard University. His name is Dr. Bessel Dandelcock. He did a study where, with two groups of patients, one group uh, with depression. One group was taking Prozac. Uh, this was like 40 years ago. And the other group was practicing yoga, only 10 to 12 minutes a day. The group that was practicing yoga after two, three months, the depression and the anxiety was much better than the other group and it got sustained in time. So I think it depends on your personality and what you like. I love meditating. I love yoga. I love Qigong, tapping, Tai Chi. I, I try to practice a little bit of everything. But if you're meditating and you're sitting and you're, it's making you anxious and you have problems with breathing and you have asthma and paying attention to your breath, it's making you more anxious. So try movement, try tapping or yoga or Tai Chi or any movement. So you, with the movement you're doing, you're getting the same effect and you're working on the same part of the brain. In fact, with Tai Chi and Qigong and slow movement, when you work on proprioception, when you're moving, for example, your hand really slow, you're, you're paying a lot of attention and you stimulate the insula too, that is connected with all this self-regulation too. Very cool. Yeah, it is very cool. I want to know how do you, how do yoga, meditation, and other movement practices play within the functional medicine approach? Do you start with them? Do you finish with them? Is it alongside? How do you how do you weave it in? That's a good question. So usually I start listening to the patient, and we go through all the the we we start with all the recommendations and you know biochemical functional medicine. We can talk about diet, supplements, sleep. Uh, but I finish all my all my visits with like you can uh, have the best diet, the best diet, and like follow everything we tell you. You can take all the supplements. You can sleep, have a really good sleep routine. But if you don't work on your stress and your spirituality, your connection with your with your, you can call it higher self. You can call it like with your. Um, 
if you don't get connected with yourself and, and work with, with stress reduction or yoga or any of these practices, or you, it could be painting. It doesn't have to be yoga or meditation. It could be painting. One of my patients this morning, he t told me that he's into working with wood and he's like carving and he's doing all these things and it's super relaxing. So it could be any, Anything that brings you to the present moment, music. So if, if, if you're not going to do that, if you're going to be very stressed and rushing and keep it like the same lifestyle, don't waste your money. Don't waste your money in all these supplements, you know, because your body doesn't heal. When we're in the stress response, in the sympathetic mode, the most important for our bodies to survive, to get the blood to our muscles, uh, to, to our brain, to survive. And, but in the parasympathetic uh, mode, vagal uh, tone that we call it, when your body is relaxed, you rest, digest, and you heal. So if you want to heal your body, you have to give your body some rest. Right. Okay. And putting it into kind of a five journeys perspective, it's really important to exercise the body. And the studies are showing now that it's just as important to exercise the mind. If you don't exercise the mind through meditation or these other practices, uh, just exercising the body is not enough, like you said, or just sleeping is not enough, or you can take all the supplements in the world, but you have to exercise the mind and stay present and sharp and be here now. <laughs> I have a question I'd like to go back to, which is, you've mentioned it a couple of times, neuroplasticity. What do you mean by that? What difference does it make? Why is it important for people? That's a good question. I love neuroplasticity. So for example, when you are studying or when you uh, want to learn something and you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. So you're generating new uh, connections in your neurons when you are doing something a lot of times. Is this muscle memory? Yeah, the scientific um, explanation is that when you're doing that several times, you're creating these new connections between two neurons or more, a lot more. But the interesting thing that if when you're creating those connections and you've been doing it for so long, there's some proteins that bind the two neurons together. So you created a memory. So maybe, for example, with uh, riding a bike, maybe you were riding a bike like all your childhood and then for 10, 20 years, you don't ride a bike. Then you get on a bike and you ride the bike because those proteins, those um, synapses are so, so stable. So the same happens with this, with mindfulness meditation. So every day you go back to your breath, you go back to feeling your body, you tell yourself that you are important, that you're lovable, that you love yourself. That So then you start believing that, that you are worth it and you are good and you, you know. So I think that that's very interesting about neuroplasticity because... I have a lot of people, and I thought it myself, oh, my, my grandma, my mom had anxiety, so I'm anxious, and that's the way it is. It's just genetics, and I'm not going to change my brain. It doesn't matter if you are 10, if you're 20, if you are 85. We can change our brains. There's neuroplasticity. There's a lot of studies with that. There's studies with patients that had uh, strokes, that the good side, the side that they can still use, they do an exercise of like putting it in to not use it and start using the, the side that was um, affected by the stroke. And they start generating new connections in the brain. So it's very interesting. And I think that it's very, it gives us a lot of hope because sometimes when we, 
we think it's the way it is and we can change it. We, we can change our brain. And what I tell my patients in, in our visits when there's depression involved or anxiety is like, you can train your brain to play the piano. Yes. You can train your brain to drive. Do you drive? Yes. You can train your brain for happiness. So when you do recommend to patients, what do you actually see? What difference does it actually make? Yeah, so I've seen a lot of patients benefit from uh, yoga or meditations from migraines. For example, one of my patients with two little ones, one like two-year-old and like a four-year-old, and she was like having migraines and taking Topamax injections, you name it, all the treatments for migraines. And I told her like, maybe you could do like a yoga video, like yoga with Adrian. That's, you know, it's a really good one. And she started practicing and I saw her four months later, she didn't have migraines and she's been taking medicines and trying injections. and, And she was amazed. I was like, I'm practicing yoga. My kids are like running around and I'm like, just with those 20 minutes every day, I, I heal my, my pain. Can you say a little more about anxiety and depression? Because I, I think that that's really something a lot of people are struggling with lately. and Especially the last year and a half. Yeah. And, and we try not to have it be too COVID focused, but there's been a huge increase. And can you say more about specifically for anxiety and then depression, how does, how does the practice interrupt the, the rat wheel of the feelings? When uh, I read a lot about, and I took a training with Dr. Bessel van he's specialized in depression and PTSD and anxiety. And it's very interesting, the changes you get uh, in the brain when you, when you practice yoga or meditation. So what he explains that I, I sometimes, when I, when I have time, I explain to my patients that, if, for example, when you are having anxiety, you start t- telling yourself, this is not rational. You're just late. Or this is just your kid having a tantrum. You don't, need, you don't need to be anxious. This is not rational. You need to calm down. So that's the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex that is in the sides of the brain. The dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is not connected with the amygdala and the limbic system. So you cannot talk yourself out of an anxiety attack. You cannot tell yourself, this is, this is not rational. So he is like, when you talk to your, to your patients and you tell them, oh, your life is good. Your family is healthy. You don't have any problems. Don't be anxious. Like that's nonsense. You're, you're not going to, you're not going to understand why you're anxious. So by practicing yoga, meditation every day, at least five minutes, at least three minutes saying like, okay, today my intention is to be uh, calm and to be happy and to be joyful. And that's my meditation. And I take the breath and I feel my heart. So whatever it is, if you do it every day, you are making this prefrontal cortex, medial prefrontal cortex bigger. That medial prefrontal cortex is connected with the amygdala. And that's the part of the brain that regulates your anxiety. One example that Dr. Bessel van der Kolk gave in one of the trainings was like, for example, we're here in this big meeting and there's a bomb, boom. So if your medial prefrontal cortex is very small, your amygdala is not very regulated, maybe you have three kids here in the meeting, you're going to just rush out of there and you're going to run, fight, flight, freeze. You're going to be safe. You're going to be outside and your kids, maybe they're still inside because what you activated there is your alarm system, your amygdala. And your prefrontal cortex is offline, so you can't think if it's safe for the kids or not. You're just just 
rushing out. If your prefrontal cortex is big, you just take a deep breath. This is just, uh, okay, I'm going to get the kids out, get them out, come in. I'm going to help people. I'm going to, so you're not, you're not hijacked by your amygdala. Wait, Marianella, I just want to stop you because I want to make sure that that's really clear. Anxiety is not a rational event and you can't talk yourself out of it. And when you're meditating or doing yoga or uh, does Tai Chi and Qigong or any type of other movement also apply? Like this is also making the prefrontal cortex larger and, and more developed? Yes. Okay. So any modality that qualifies is going to make your ability to think and function in something traumatic or crisis oriented or stressful more effective. Yes, that's correct. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. You're working on the same medial prefrontal cortex and you're more regulated. You're more regulated. And maybe you've been meditating for six weeks and, and it happens sometimes to, to my patients that when we do the mindfulness group meetings or classes that they're like, Oh, I don't see any changes. And then maybe six weeks later, they're like, I drop a plate. And instead of like start cursing or saying like how stupid I am, I was like, Oh, well, you know, it's just a plate. I was like, Oh my gosh. It, that that changed me. I'm I'm really changing. So maybe it's some subtle things that uh, you notice, but it's it does change your mind. Yeah, I want to actually emphasize that because I notice in general, as a human being, we want to be better yesterday. Like everybody wants to be better yesterday. And after our initial visit, when I see patients back two or three times later back, I ask how they're doing, and the majority of people say they're doing about the same. They're no better. And then we go back to the initial visit and talk about their symptoms of the, that they saw. And they're at least, a lot of times, at least 20 to 40% better. Yeah. But people don't acknowledge it because we want, all want to be better yesterday. Well, it's also the absence of a problem is very hard to remember when it's gone or better. So that's why people forget, you know, it's not there. You're not present to it. You're not experiencing it. It's gone. So I think it's just gone. Right. So I think that yoga meditation works on a very subtle level that a lot of people don't appreciate until an event like dropping your plate or something happens, because otherwise it's just their life. And life is very complex and not delicate. And busy. <laughs> okay. So now, now let's transition then to the depression part that I didn't let you go into because I was just so struck by the fact that you can't talk yourself out of anxiety. Yes. Yeah. So, well, depression is uh, it's very similar. I think that um, there's uh, mainly the, the studies, the the. I think it's mo the, the explanation is very similar, but mainly it's the studies, the studies that have been done with uh, functional MRIs and neuroplasticity. And, and of course, sometimes with depression, there's other things. And in functional medicine, we know that maybe it's not just your um, ideas or your PTSD or all you went through. There's uh, some food sensitivities or there's some toxicity in your body that you have also to work on. I'm reading a book that it's about uh, a girl that is talking her story about how she 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 gets into functional medicine and she gets very upset because she's upset with all the yogis and the meditation teachers that she's been following because and she says you can meditate yourself out of mercury poisoning <laughs> or you can so it's true it's true it's very helpful but of course we have to see the person as a whole and maybe you have a really high um, 
gluten sensitivity or so I think it's very helpful and for some people it's transforming it's just what they needed and they're not depressed anymore or they're not uh, anxious anymore I've never ever had anxiety again and if you ask my husband that he met me when I was 17 uh, he can tell you I'm a different person in depression is the same it's like there's a doctor her name is or a psychiatrist her name is Martian Linenham she has a, a program it's DBT she uses mindfulness to give her patients with PTSD and depression. She works with suicidal patients um, to give them tools to have, how to go through through all that. And and when she talks, she says, I've been practicing psychiatry since I was in, like, I don't know, my 20s. And I've seen a lot of patients with PTSD and depression. And I see that patients that go through very traumatic events and they their lives is destroyed and they, they can't get out of that hole and they can recover. And I see patients that they're really in a really bad spot and they start thriving and they start feeling better and their lives get better. And those patients usually use a lot of the mindfulness uh, tools. Yeah, and I want to kind of emphasize, uh, Dr. Levina, what you were saying, that anxiety depression, on one hand, can be treated very effectively with yoga uh, or meditation. On the other hand, there could be biochemical issues. There could be mercury poisoning or heavy metal toxicity. There could be gluten sensitivity. There yeah. could be a lot of other things. Or even just the posture, talking about how they're standing and sitting and et cetera, so forth. If your head is hunched forward, you can very much feel depressed and anxious. And yoga can help with that, obviously. We can't have an episode without talking about Amy Cuddy. <laughs> We, we just can't. Like, it's, we gotta... it's, it's, it's... <laughs> this is so important. Yeah, it's true. So it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach, which is what you're saying. And this is a major part of it, is if you can't stay present, if you can't feel your body, you may get anxious. That cycle may be repeating. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that John Kabat-Zinn says in his training is that sometimes we are always like, um, or all of us, maybe, we are always rushing. We have to take the kids to school and go to work and finish the project and do this and do that. And some people, they get to their 70s, they're 70 years old, they're 80, and they, they've been rushing all their lives and they haven't been paying attention to their loved ones or their needs or the being in automatic pilot all your life is it could be really sad so i think that that's uh something that we can tell our patients that just practicing at least one minute a day being here in the present moment feeling your body asking yourself do i have anxiety today am i i have tension like what's going on what do i need i think that's super important for our lives because if not we are rushing and rushing and rushing to the finish line that is death and then we get there so it's uh, i think that that's something that i always like from tiknat han he says that the best gift that you can give your family yourself your friends your patients is being present listening and being being there maybe you're not talking but you are there and you're present Okay, so how would someone go about figuring out what's best for them? Like, is there one you recommend people start with? Or is it, here's your pick list, pick something, and then if that doesn't work, try something else? How, how do they get into it? So... For example, if I see a patient that is very overwhelmed with a lot of anxiety and when I tell them about meditation, they open their eyes and they're like, wow, I'm not going to do that. I recommend movement. Usually what I do is give them a list 
with like some meditations and like Qigong exercises, chair yoga, and tell them to just try them and pick the ones that they like. It depends on what you're going through. For example, if you're going through a lot of pain, doing like a full yoga class is not going to be a good idea, but Tai Chi, Qigong, or chair yoga are more gentle. How long until people really start to notice any difference from whatever modality they pick? I think that after four to six weeks, you start feeling the, the benefits. Once in a, a yoga class, there was like one of the students was like 70 or 75. And I was in my yoga class. And when we finished, we were like sharing and doing the, you know, the typical share. And he said... This was before I was a yoga fanatic. He said that if you practice yoga three times a week, it helps your body, it helps your your mind. But if you practice yoga every day, it changes your life. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? No. So I started because of what because of what he said. I practice started practicing. Like, he's seventy five. I was like, I don't know, twenty two. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna practice every day, and it did change my life. In what way? When, when I was younger, when I was 16, 17, I started having lots of migraines and lots of anxiety. I went through medical school with like trying going to neurologists because I had this bad migraines and, you know, anxiety. I, he would tell me, go exercise. I'm like, I'm in medical school. I don't, I can't. That's not possible. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, I started practicing yoga and I would practice for two or three weeks and I didn't have a migraine. I was like, well, look at that. And I would stop and I would get a migraine and anxiety. And so it changed my life. So where do you start? What are the good resources that we can recommend to our audience as like a place to start? That's a good question. Yeah. So um, using an app is a good way to go. Calm, Headspace, Insight Timer. So there's there's a bunch of, of apps that you can do. And that's easy because it's in your phone and you can... Maybe if you feel anxious or you want to do like a three-minute meditation at lunch, you can listen to that. I use it with my kids too, calm. They listen to meditations at night. And so I think it's a very, very good app. Calm is a, a good app. That's the one we use. Then there's a lot of good teachers. Well, John Kabat-Zinn that we already, that there, and there's a lot in YouTube uh, with all these teachers, John Kabat-Zinn. Tara Brack, she's a... A mindfulness teacher. She's a Buddhist psychologist. Uh, I think she has amazing meditations. So um, that could be another good name. Lots of in my classes and my group visits, what I use a lot is meditations of Christopher Germer and Kristin Neff. I don't know if you've heard of them. They do the self-compassion mindfulness meditation. They have a program, the self-compassion. And Tara Brack always says that with mindfulness, you have, it's like a bird with two wings. You have the paying attention. Oh, yes, we have to pay attention to the breath and to the body and to the thoughts. So awareness is one wing and the other wing is one is paying attention and the other wing is befriending and doing something. So if you just pay attention, well, yeah, I'm paying attention to my breath that is fast today. And But if you pay attention and then you hold yourself with kindness, it works a lot better if you put some self-compassion into the mindfulness meditation. So 
attending and befriending, and that's what she calls it. Calls it. And um, Christine Neff and Christopher Germer, they have done a lot of uh, studies with depression and anxiety, and they compared just mindfulness meditation and mindfulness meditation with self-compassion. The rates of recovery with the, with self-compassion trainings are double, like much, much better. They have a lot of good meditations. Perfect. Thank you so much. This has been unbelievable. I yeah. know I've learned a lot. Yeah. I want to go back and do my Tai Chi practice now. <laughs> I haven't done it in a while. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Marianella Lavena on the Five Journeys podcast. Don't go it alone. It's not a social journey until others join. Share this with your friends. 